Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined today by my co-host Astrid Edwards. And thanks to the wonderful team at Hachette Australia, we have a Hachette author, Jessica Townsend, with us. This week we have been exploring the theme of coming of age and Jessica is just about the perfect person to have a chat to about the lovely crossover genre of coming of age and fantasy. She is, of course, the author of Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow, her award-winning first novel released in 2017. She has since released two more novels in that series and apparently there's another six to go. I think you will find her as extraordinary as we did. Jessica, you know I am a massive fan of your work. They are fantasy works for middle grade readers. And as a 40 something year old adult, I am going to own it and love it. Can you tell our listeners why fantasy, the genre of fantasy where there are all sorts of magical things that don't exist in our reality, why it's so important? I can say why it's important to me because the stories that I grew up loving as a kid, they were fantasy stories. I read a lot of different genres. I read a lot of contemporary and, you know, I loved my Robin Klein and my John Marston and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like for me personally, fantasy is the narrative world that like burrowed deep into my heart and just made little tunnels all over the place and opened up doors to new worlds that I just, even now, like, I feel like I get, when I talk about, like, the books that I love, particularly the fantasy books that I love, I just get this, like, little butterfly-ish feeling because it just, it's that feeling of possibility for me is I'm such a, a dorky little kid at heart and I'm always so sort of looking for things in the everyday that are a little bit weird and a little bit offbeat and just might open up some new possibility, some new doorway to somewhere. And the place that i found that and continue to find that and the place no doubt where you find that is in like the fantasy canon. That is a beautiful answer and I love how you just said the fantasy canon. I honestly believe that the character of Morgan Crow, your young female protagonist, you are writing her into the fantasy canon. Oh, oh don't. That might that, that's going to make me cry a little bit. That's a very very kind thing to say. Thank you. That's such a weird idea because I just still feel like I'm playing in a sandpit that does not belong to me (laughs) you know just just kind of sneakily stepping into this world of you know fantasy writers and kind of looking around and hoping no one comes with a hook to hook me off the stage and no one has yet which is very nice thank you so much I want to ask you a similar but slightly more narrow version of the question Astrid just asked we've spoken about how fantasy is important and why it's important and why we're attracted to it. We are three adults chatting right now. Why is it that children and preteens and perhaps early teens are particularly drawn to this genre over everything else? Oh gosh, what a question. I don't even know if that's a question I'm sort of equipped to answer. Like I can remember what it was like for me as a kid. I mean, I think that so much of it is like a power thing, right? 
there is a weird empowerment in feeling like you're stepping into a world of possibility, a world where you can, I mean, I feel like this way as a writer where like, it's a world where I can make the rules. I don't need to adhere to any kind of like laws of the universe in particular. I mean, obviously like, you know, you need some kind of internal logic and, but I think that that may be the thing that kids respond to is like, you're not living and occupying this world of logic and rules and, you know, things following one after the other and making sense. There is that feeling of this is a place or a a genre or a world or whatever, where, you know, you can kind of make the rules to an extent, even weirdly as a reader. I think it's also that age where, and I'm thinking of particularly the middle grade category that I write, I write for, which is, you know, like I feel like I'm writing for myself and I'm 36 years old, but that, that middle grade category is technically 8 to 12. And in that sort of little period of life, you're sort of looking for ways to empower yourself and you're sort of looking outside yourself and reckoning with the world around you. And there is something kind of weirdly, I think, I'm going to say something slightly contradictory, but it's like it's empowering and it's also comforting and safe to have a playground, have a sandpit where, you know, you can kind of inhabit the world of these characters who are like coming into their own in a way and and are at that age where they are stepping outside of themselves or looking outside of themselves and it's not so kind of internal and, and what's the weird little things that are happening in my world but also like really kind of clawing out your own little place in in the world that you're in and it's like those it's it's writ large in the in those fantasy worlds and those fantasy characters because you know it's not just like a lovely contemporary story which also has a you know has a has a wonderful and important place in literature but they're just dealing with big exciting thrilling dangerous things and at that age the world does feel big and exciting and dangerous and so you kind of want to see that reflected in the stories that you're reading and enhanced Morgan Crowe is a young girl. She is a preteen and she is our heroine. The action revolves around her and she drives a lot of what happens. For a young kid, particularly a girl, that in itself is incredibly empowering. We are obviously here today just talking about Morgan Crowe and her adventures, but for those listening, can you give us the 30-second introduction to Nevermore Morgan and the world that she inhabits? This is a second world fantasy. She's born in this world where she is cursed because she's born on the unluckiest day. And because of this curse, she gets the blame for everything that happens in this place where she's from. So small things, big things, she is to blame for everything, which is a very heavy weight, I think, for a girl to grow up with. And then the flip side also is that she's doomed to die. So on her next birthday, at the beginning of the book, she is going to die from this curse, this mysterious curse. She doesn't know how but her life will come to an end. But obviously that would be a dreadful book. So she does not die. She gets rescued. She gets spirited away to this other kind of secret, magical part of this world where she's from. And it is the city of Nevermore, which is this sinister place, but wonderful and magical and large and colourful and bright and spectacular. So in Hollowpox, the most recent book, there is a disease outbreak in the city of Nevermore. (laughs) So I would like to preface all of this by saying, for those of your listeners who do not know, when you get a book deal and you're writing a series, your publisher generally wants some kind of outline of a series of the next few books in the series, right? And so they want a little kind of one-page description of each book. And I gave that to them in 2016. So somewhere in existence in the world, there is a piece of paper that says, the third book is going to be about a disease outbreak. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so this book is, uh, the, the holopox is a disease that affects a certain group of people in Nevermore. They are the animals, which are sort of magical, sentient, half human, half animal, animal hybrids. And this mysterious brand new disease is particularly attacking this one group of people. And so holopox kind of reckons with this sudden climate of fear in which a particular group of people are terrified of being the victim of this disease because the disease kind of turns them into hollow empty shells. It takes away all of their sense of self and their language. And and on the flip side, it also, it's kind of, it's almost more a zombie novel than a disease novel, to be perfectly honest with you, because it then turns these animals into vicious animals and they attack people. And so it's much less about kind of the the idea of this disease and more about the reactions of the, the people in Nevermore to, you know, the reactions of the group who were the victims of it and than the group who really do think they're the victims of it because they will be the victims of those victims. Jessica, I want to ask about boundaries because when you are writing in the hashtag real world, you've got the boundaries of what is possible for human beings, what is conceivable on the planet that we inhabit. But when you're writing fantasy, I mean, hypothetically, you could go anywhere. But a book that genuinely went anywhere, whether completely unbelievable within the context of that world happened, would not be an enjoyable read. So how do you set boundaries for yourself within your fantasy world? It's a really interesting question and it's one that I often ask myself because so much of, I find so much of writing just like, I'm not very good at articulating rules for myself or, or articulating the rules that I do have for myself because I have those rules and there is this weird kind of intuitive feeling when you're skating really close to something that does not feel right in your world. And this is a world that I've taken a really long time to build. I wouldn't say that I know everything about it because I create new parts of it all the time and there are always things that are occurring to me and new realisations and new ideas that builds and grows like a weird fungus. But when I'm writing or more to the point when I'm editing and then it's at the point where other people are involved, there are other editors who may come in and say, why couldn't she just do this in that situation? Why couldn't she, you know, enact in, act in this certain way or whatever? And there are times when I'm like, yeah, of course she could do that. And then there are times where it skates sort of uncomfortably close to this question of like, no, how, how do you not know that she couldn't, that that couldn't happen in this world? How do you not understand that that's not a thing that's allowed here? And then I sort of have to take this weird step back and say to myself, how would they possibly know? <laughs> because, this, <laughs> you know, this world is ridiculous and it doesn't. And I think that, you know, if you're a reader and particularly a lot of my other kids who read these books, they're reading and rereading and rereading. I have, you know, uh, every festival or event or whatever I go to, I have kids who are like, I've read this 12 times, which is delightful. And so, but they have this like real strong familiarity with the world. And I think that that's particularly with series that we loved as kids, you know, and fantasy series, like when you are reading and rereading, you're really getting to have this instinctive sense of what the rules are in this world. I would never be able to write those rules. I would never be able to articulate them for someone and say, here you go, here's a document that will help you write something in this world. But I'm sort of deeply familiar with them, which is absurd because there's so much that's contradictory in here. And, you know, and that I can't explain to my editors very well why it's important to me that, you know, why one thing might be really important to me, but say, for example, it's totally fine that I talk about Christmas or, you know, it's fine. You know, <laughs> like I, I just is. And things like that, a lot of the 
them do have, because this is going to be nine books and I've only kind of shown you the tip of the iceberg so far, but there are really specific reasons for a lot of that. There's a really specific reason, for example, that Christmas, the word Christmas and the concept of Christmas exists in this world. And that is something that we will probably learn about in later books. But, you know, I couldn't say why that's totally fine. And then something else that they would suggest, like, is there this kind of machinery or is there this kind of infrastructure in this world? I would be like, well, no, of course there's not. I want to be able to break my own rules whenever I want, just because I feel like it. Jess, in the tradition of all great fantasy series that have dedicated readers who read a book 12 times and that is commercially successful, one day I hope you publish the behind the scenes world building rules. So I suggest you start writing all of this down, contradictory or not, because I I feel like (laughs) someone's going to ask for that at some stage. Oh, I know. I know. And you know what? A lot of it is written down. A lot of it does exist. It's just that I'm so haphazard in, in my brain and on my hard drive that it's like, I know where it is. I know what it all says and what it all means and I know that even though I said this one particular thing and then in a later document I completely contradicted it I know which one is correct yeah but you so I would love to do that that would be lovely (laughs) in all of the books that you have published the, the three that are already out and I would imagine the six that are coming you deal with some quite weighty topics not just a pandemic that affects the animals but what really struck me as an adult reading book three was how you deal with others, othering of characters and class and the idea of hate and bigotry. Now, they're really strong words and strong concepts and, you know, things that adults grapple with. And yet you have them in a middle grade series and you do it really beautifully. It is age appropriate and kids will understand at you know, whatever level of understanding that they have. But can you talk to us about how you take young readers using the fantasy genre through such important concepts? It's a strange thing because it it's a topic that comes up a lot. And for me, it was just never a question, never even a, like, how do I do this question? Not, or let alone a, do I do this question? It just makes, I guess it sort of speaks to the rules of the world. So using hollypox as an example, when I realised that for plot reasons, this would be a disease that would affect one group of people, obviously it made sense to me that, well, this is going to affect the way that people treat those that group and this is going to affect the way that that group responds to how they're being treated and, and you know. So it was never really a question for me of whether to broach that or how to do it this exists in our world. Like this is this kind of treatment of people is everywhere that we look. And I think that kids are incredibly smart and incredibly intuitive and they know that these situations exist in the real world. And I think that if that pushback hadn't happened in this book, I almost think that that would have felt, and maybe not necessarily every kid would have been able to sort of pinpoint why that felt strange, but they would all know that it felt strange because they're all living in the same world that we live in. The question of how to take a child through that, the same way that you take an adult through it, you know, you don't necessarily render a, a moral judgment on anything, but you present things as they are. You present things as they would be in our world and you have... I guess you have certain characters respond to those situations in certain ways. And the characters are all a proxy for me or for some other person in our real world. And likewise, you know, you have a character like Jupiter, for example, who is kind of the moral heart of the story. Well, I always know how Jupiter is going to respond to a situation like that because Jupiter would, because I, because I want Jupiter to be 
the person that I would want to be. It's not like, oh, Jupiter's a stand-in for the author or anything like that. It's just like, I want him to respond in the way that I would want my heroes to respond. I think I may have said this to you before, Jess. I would like to have a date with Jupiter. (laughs) I'll listen, I'll see what I can do. I'll write it in. Listen, he's a good guy and not a perfect guy by any means. Like he's not, I, I, that was the other thing is that, you know, it's so important to me that all of these characters respond in really human ways and sometimes mess it up and don't, don't necessarily get things right because, you know, we're in, we're in the middle of a really terrible situation in the world at the moment. And we know that people don't always respond in the most empathetic way or in the most sensible, practical, logical way, or in the way that in a year's time is going to make perfect sense. So it's important to me that all of those characters kind of don't, you know, make mistakes and don't always get it right as well. Jess, I want to ask about your planning process and the kind of challenge of planning each novel in the series versus that kind of take a step back, planning your nine book narrative arch. And in asking about what your planning process is like, I also want to know, do you know how it ends? (laughs) Um, Yeah, more or less, but also no, not at all. (laughs) So there we go. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Yeah, so my my planning process, we'll generously call it that, is best described as haphazard. But then it's also, again, like I am a little bit of a contradiction in a lot of ways. Like it's also incredibly methodical and incredibly meticulous and it's just it's just a lot there's just a lot of volume of planning at the moment because nine books and a gazillion characters you know take such a lot of planning and such a lot of you know so many subplots that I have to now tie up and I guess this is how it changes with every book I mean I always say I have no idea how to write a book because every time I sit down to write one it's a whole new experience even though it's the same series but I guess that's kind of just the natural consequence of you know, having this thing start at, as, at a, as the size of the, the kernel of the first book and then just growing and growing and growing and branching out in all these different directions, which is the joy of it, of course. Like, that's why I love it and why I continue to enjoy it so much. To answer in a slightly more mechanical way, with each book that I've started writing, I have this just kind of, I call it my little master outline document, which is such a kind way of describing a bullet point list. <laughs> It's all of the things that I imagine will probably happen in this book. It's all of my kind of fantasy tentpole scenes of, you know, this would be a cool action sequence. This would be fun. This would be a great way to wrap things up at the end. It's all of the just tiny little bits of conversation that have happened that need to be revisited at some point. Characters that I need to bring more to the fore, especially with Morrigan's little cohort unit 919, because I am trying to give adequate page time to each of those characters because they're so important to the story. So that's kind of the way that I plan it. And then I plan on a slightly more granular level, chapter by chapter, you know, as I'm getting more into the guts of the story, like I will write a chapter outline, which is another kind way of saying a stream of consciousness of me just going, and then this happens, and then probably something like this, and then I guess maybe blah, 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 blah. And then he says this funny line. So as far as the ending goes, I still have moments where I'm so surprised that, you know, when I figure something out, I'm like, oh, that's where that's going. But I had this moment where... I had this massive realization of a way of something that's going to happen or something that's going to be made clear around circa book seven or eight that tied that like in a really miraculous way, just tied together almost every major plot thread 
for like every major subplot from the book. And in, in such a way that I'm like, I'm so surprised that that wasn't the first thing I thought of in writing this entire series. I'm so surprised that it hasn't all just flowed out from this one idea. So that was really exciting. So I guess, I, I guess like the cool thing is, yes, I do know the ending roughly, but also there are kind of a lot of endings and it's a little bit of a choose your own adventure at the moment in that depending on the direction that certain plots take, it could end up in any number of places, but I feel supremely confident about where it's going, even though I know that it's going to sort of diverge and and meander a little bit. There's no part of me that is in any way worried about the ending of these, these books. The joy in your voice, as you describe how you experience creating this world and writing this world is simply a delight, Jess. Congratulations also on the announcement of book four, Silverborn, the mystery of Morrigan Crow. It really is. And I can't believe I have to wait till October, 2022. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's a a very long teaser. That's more than 12 months, but congratulations. And honestly, This is a beautiful series. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you, Astrid and Jamila. It was absolutely lovely to meet you. And yeah, thank you. That's all we've got time for with Jessica Townsend. Isn't she just awesome? And whether or not you are thinking about buying for middle grade readers or yourself, we firmly recommend that you check out the Nevermore series. If you would like to make sure you never miss an episode of Anonymous Was a Woman, you can follow us on social media or even better, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts in your ears from. That way you won't miss our next episode, which drops on Monday, which is around the theme of being a grown-up, in which Astrid and I have two awesome new pieces of work to bring to the table. Thank you to Hachette Publishing, Future Women and Bad Producer Productions for today's episode and making it possible. 